0: Our scripture today is from 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in the middle of uh, that chapter. Peter had said, um, he he had talked to the the people of the church, uh, inviting them to to live in harmony, uh, to live with compassion and humility, uh, not to repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, to be a people of blessing. And then Peter says in verse 13 of chapter 3. So chapter 3, verse 13. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what's right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It's better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. Sharing our faith with others can be difficult, Uh, Given the opportunity to to talk about our faith with another, we may find the going kind of tough. We may hesitate to to share our faith because we're afraid maybe that our lives aren't good enough. Or maybe we're afraid to share because we figure we don't know enough, we don't have the answers. Or maybe we're concerned about uh, what others will think. People might uh, reject us or they might think that we're odd. And sometimes, to be honest, we do come across as odd. Like the man who was always eager to share his faith. He was a barber and he often had opportunity. The thing is, he could never find the right words. He'd lather up the customer's face, sharpen the razor, but customers would always look for a chance to escape when he turned, razor in hand, and said, are you prepared to meet your God? God calls us to right living. He wants us to do the right thing. It's never wrong to do what's right. Even threats against us should not deter us. Peter writes, "Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good?" What he's recognizing is that passiveness isn't good enough. A Christian character isn't about what you don't do. Peter says, "Be zealous for good." No one will harm you if you are enthusiastic to do good. At least that's what we might expect. But sometimes you do the right thing and you suffer some heat. Or worse, you do what's right and you face persecution. I appreciated what Julian had to say, recognizing that there are Christians around the world who face persecution for doing the right thing. Christians around the globe are killed or raped or sexually assaulted because of their faith. Churches and uh, and church buildings, Christian buildings, are attacked because of faith. Homes, shops, businesses burned or destroyed. Every month, hundreds of Christians are unjustly imprisoned for their faith. Christians don't always have the privilege, for instance, of owning a Bible. They may only have a a part of one, and they always have to keep it hidden. It may be illegal in their country to convert to Christianity. Terrorist groups might hunt you down for your faith. You can't even tell your children for fear that your young children might accidentally expose your belief. You can do the right thing in North Korea or Afghanistan or Somalia and suffer immensely because of your faith. Today, more than 260 million people around the world face persecution because of their faith. Peter was writing to Christians who may have put their lives on the line for their faith. But despite their suffering, Peter considered them fortunate. Peter says, "...but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed." You'll find God's favor if you do what's right, even when others might make your life miserable for it. God has graciously adopted us as his sons and daughters. In fact, Jesus taught Peter this very principle. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's be clear. God doesn't want you to suffer, but bad things happen. And Peter reminds us what the prophet Isaiah says, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. Instead of living with fear, Christ followers trust God. One example of doing right despite suffering might be seen in the 20th century civil rights movement led by Martin Luther King Jr. He once said, cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Consensus asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks, is it right? True Christ followers don't pursue the path of least danger, nor do Christ followers wonder what path will make the greatest number happy. Christ followers pursue what's right. Black citizens and and black Christians faced incredible pressure to be second-rate citizens, subject to the power and the authority of whites. One member of the black community, Rosa Parks, shows us what it looks like to do right without fear. In the year 1955, Rosa, a seamstress, was returning home from her job. She boarded the bus, and the rule at the time was white in the front's Blacks in the back. And if there weren't enough seats for white passengers, the blacks had to stand. Well, one day, Rosa Parks sat in an available seat near the middle of the bus. She was exhausted. She had worked hard all day. The bus grew more and more crowded, And blacks were required to give up their seats to white passengers. And the driver noticed that Rosa and others weren't standing. Y'all better make it light on yourselves and let me have those seats, he declared. Now Rosa didn't understand at all how it would make it light for her to give up her seat and stand after a long day at work. So, she remained seated. Her ancestors had been brought over on slave ships, treated like cattle, died by the thousands. Parents whipped before children's eyes, children taken away and sold, while, while parents screamed in protest. Even after slavery officially ended, there was still exploitation and discrimination, cross burnings, lynchings, church bombings. The more blacks gave in to what was wrong, the worse their treatment was. The bus driver shouted at her. He threatened to arrest her if she didn't stand, and Rosa remained seated, calmly responding, You may do that. Rosa Parks was convicted to do the right thing. Rather than being afraid of human power and authority, Rosa trusted God's power and authority. Like Peter says, it's better if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Yes, followers of Christ may suffer, but Peter's clear no matter what suffering may come our way, there's nothing that should keep us from doing the right thing. In fact, a gentle response may open the door for you to give the reason for your hope. Your good deeds might lead to the opportunity for you to give an answer why you live the way you do. Peter says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. Instead of being afraid of what people will think or say, you'll show that your Lord is Jesus. You'll resist the urge to make your faith primarily and purely a a private matter. Now, you've got to understand, this is a a big about-face for Peter, Uh, an amazing statement for Peter to make. He once had the chance to speak up for Jesus, and he denied ever knowing Jesus. Peter was asked three times by people to give an answer, and each time he refused. Now, Peter says... Be prepared to give an answer. Giving reason for your hope doesn't mean you have all the theological answers to every faith dilemma. You aren't expected to be a, an expert in all the biblical nuances or, or able to produce irrefutable, highly philosophical counterarguments. Peter just wants you to be ready to explain why you have hope. What's your story? Where has God worked grace into your life? Watch the tag videos by the the people of our church who've been sharing. Keith, Kaylee, Julian, each one telling a, a simple story of how God has worked in their lives through various people and events. They are recipients of God's goodness. And they're simply doing what Peter's called for giving reason for the hope that they have. Whatever your response, Peter tells us to do it with gentleness and respect. See, Peter doesn't tell you to win an argument. You aren't supposed to give as good as you get. The goal of Christian testimony is to help people take a closer look at God and His ways. Gentleness reflects your attitude. Others may mock or criticize you. The temptation is then to do the same toward them. Instead, gentleness receives the other with grace, listening for what God might be speaking to you through them. And respect speaks to your regard of the other. You know the person in front of you is an image-bearer of God. They have this inherent dignity and worth that calls for your respect. A good example of living with gentleness and respect is the story of Fred Rogers. Uh, Perhaps you've seen that recent movie, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It reveals a bit about Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers started Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood because he didn't like what the medium of television was doing. The programming, he found, was way too demeaning. And so Rogers tried to present life lessons to children through puppets and songs and and honest conversations about difficult issues. He almost never talked about his faith on air, but he always displayed a beauty and grace that infused homes and hearts with kindness and love. Fred Rogers portrayed a gentle spirit. He would famously sign off his show by saying, You've made this day a special day by just you being you. There's no person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. This simple attitude, Fred Rogers made connections with all kinds of different people. A young fan with cerebral palsy. A blind child struggling to pray. And even the cynical Esquire journalist Tom Genode, whose relationship with Rogers is the basis for this recent movie. Fred Rogers entered homes and hearts through this medium of television by giving reason for his hope with gentleness and respect. When we convey our faith in in these ways, we reveal to others not how great we are, No, we reveal to others how great God is. And then, even in our flaws and failures, God's grace comes shining through. We invite others with our story, and soon enough, they see God's love and grace expressed in our lives. After all, as Christians, we are under the influence of Christ When Peter talks about doing good and the possibility of suffering, he points us toward Jesus. Peter points to Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension as the storyline that guides our story. Peter begins with the death of Jesus. For Christ also suffered once for sins. He was put to death in the body. Jesus willingly, purposefully, in a once-for-all sacrifice, gave his innocent life for us. It's not the first time that Peter has raised this subject. Last week we saw that Peter addressed the mistreatment of Christian slaves by pointing to the example of the suffering of Christ. Jesus was crucified. Even though he was innocent, Jesus took the weight of sin upon himself. He died for us. You know, that phrase... He died for us. Sometimes we say it so often in the church and kind of grow immune to the power of the words. Barbara Brown Taylor conveys the power in a story she tells about one Palm Sunday experience. Each year, the church that she pastored staged a a dramatic reading of the story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and then the last week of his life. A 10-foot-tall cross was centered on the stage, and participants took their places, some on the stage, and some were seated in the pews next to unsuspecting parishioners. One year, the drama built toward its dreaded conclusion. Jesus stood in front of the cross, head bowed, and Pilate asked the crowd, "'What should I do with Jesus, who's called the Messiah?' And the dramatic participants, those who had been planted out in the audience, jumped to their feet. Crucify him, they shouted. Let him be crucified. As Taylor says, the story is awful. But those of us who are familiar with the story can endure, because we know the end of the story. But this one particular year, another voice was heard from the audience. And it was a mournful cry. Oh, my Lord, no, it wailed. A woman's voice lamented, Don't kill sweet Jesus. You've got to stop. You can't kill sweet Jesus. Oh, Lord, make him stop. An usher located the woman in the darkness sat beside her. All around her, people patted and whispered and consoled. They they assured her it was all right. See, she had wandered in off the street, and she had taken a seat and didn't know what was going to happen. And even though someone tried to tell her it wasn't real, for her, it was. And for Peter, it was. Yes, Jesus suffers with us, but even more, he suffered for us. For Christ also suffered once for sins, righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Notice, Peter doesn't say Jesus died so that we might live, he doesn't say Jesus died so our sins might be forgiven or so that we might go to heaven. No, Peter looks all the way back to Eden and humanity's first sin. We were cast out of the garden, out of the presence of the Lord. We were without hope and without God in the world. But now, because of his death, we're brought back to God. We're in God's presence even if the world treats us terribly. And Peter doesn't stop with the cross. Jesus was raised to life. Jesus' resurrection declares victory over death. Peter says he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. Now, he isn't saying that it's the Holy Spirit that came to bring Jesus back to life. No, he's referring to Jesus' own Spirit. In that Spirit, alive through Jesus' Alive in Jesus, though he suffered death. Peter says he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Now, it's a really strange phrase here. I mean, every word or phrase in this particular verse of the Bible has been disputed. No single interpretation has ever gained prominence. But my New Testament professor, Andrew Banstra, once offered this translation, and I think it's helpful. In that resurrected state, By means of his going further into heaven, he made proclamation of his victory to the spirits in prison. Peter is writing to believers to encourage them in the face of suffering. And what he's saying is that a resurrected Jesus has announced his victory over all powers. Jesus preached to the spirits in prison who are fallen angels, disobedient angels, who were banished from God's presence. And what did he preach? He proclaimed victory. To angels who had rejected God and his kingdom, Jesus declared, God's kingdom has won the day. In other words, Peter points beyond the resurrection to Jesus' ascension as well. His ascension to power. Notice what he says. Who has gone into heaven is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Jesus Christ had the the full victory over any power and authority to known human beings. No power, no authority is greater than Jesus. And as a result of this, these little groups of Christians who faced persecution from their own local authorities were assured that Christ had won the victory. To these suffering people, Peter presents this double message. First, Jesus suffered unjustly, just like you. But second, Jesus is the victorious Lord who announces his victory over the world. Right now, this Lord Jesus Christ is at God's right hand. The suffering servant is the reigning Lord. Jesus has this seat of power and authority. One author notes that these dimensions of Christ's life are presented to remind Christians that they live a kind of double existence. They're aliens and exiles in this world, but at the same time, they're a holy nation and royal priesthood. They experience persecution and trials, but they have a hope of a certain victory. Sometimes things seem so chaotic So out of control, we may wonder, what difference does faith make? In the push and pull, the grand tug of war we know as life, do we have any hope? I mean, what, with viruses run amok and environmental degradation, wars, poverty, hunger, racism, abuse, addiction, self-obsession afflicting every arena in life, let alone the struggle to be good and raise good kids? what's the use of believing in this Jesus who sits up in heaven? British journalist Malcolm Muggeridge was known for his pessimistic opinions on the state of world affairs. And a Christian who heard him asked why he was so pessimistic. Didn't he have any reason at all for optimism? And Muggeridge replied, My friend, I could not be more optimistic than I am because my hope is in Jesus Christ alone. And then Muggridge added, just think if the apostolic church had pinned its hope on the Roman Empire. Friends, do you catch the powerful force of Peter's words? No matter what you face in life, even unjust suffering, there is no greater hope than Jesus Christ. He suffered, just like many Christians do, but more importantly, he is alive and victorious. He's the living Christ who reigns over all authorities, all powers. And Jesus gives meaning and purpose and hope to everyone who believes in him. Yes, we can face hard times. You can try to do the right thing and still feel like it's not effective. But there's hope. No, not in what we can do. No, our hope is in Jesus Christ. At every turn, in every circumstance, no matter what turmoil or suffering might come our way, we can give reason for our hope. I can declare to you that in life and in death, my hope is in Jesus Christ. Yes, He suffered. But more importantly... He is alive and victorious over all evil. And that's enough. That's more than enough to encourage me to keep striving to do the right thing. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your death, your resurrection, and your ascension. And as we... Reflect on that movement, that story, as we see what you did for us, for our salvation, and how you, in being raised to life, bring life to us that moves beyond any hopelessness, any suffering, any difficulty. That you continue to provide us hope for our circumstances, hope for our lives. Lord Jesus Christ, continue to instill faith in us. Continue to uh, give us reason for the hope that we have so that we're able to share that story, your story, with others. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.